Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jay and Mike Take Flight podcast. This is our first episode of 2021. We took a brief break for the holidays and all that good stuff, spend time with the family. But now we're back and we've got a news uh, packed episode right off the bat. We have the Resident Evil show village, uh, Resident Evil village showcase, I should say, that came off, you know, just a week ago. And it had a lot of uh, interesting details and tidbits as far as that game's concerned. We have the Godzilla versus Kong trailer that dropped for HBO Max. We also have GameStop, you know, bringing Wall Street to its knees. We have Xbox, uh, Xbox and the Xbox Live goof of a lifetime on this episode. And I just want to start off as we're going to get into heavy discussion of Resident Evil Village and the showcase in general. I want to say rest in peace to Jeanette Moss, who was one of the uh, voice actors for Resident Evil Village. It was set to play a few characters in that game. And, you know, she recently just lost the battle with colon cancer. So rest in peace to her. And I'm sure her work in the game will shine through. And we wish nothing but the best for her family and friends. But with that said, you know, the showcase came out. And it was a nice little short half-hour showcase. But it pretty much gave you all the details that you needed to know. And it showed off, you know, details about the game. We got a new trailer, some gameplay footage. Pre-order details as far as uh, game editions, what kind of editions will be coming, collectors, deluxe, all that good stuff, as well as a mode that they unveiled that will be coming attached to Resident Evil Village. So, Mike, give us a breakdown of the showcase. Uh, showcase was nice and revealing. Um, we basically got an overview of what's going to be happening. We got to see the village in its, not entirety, but, you know, mostly the aesthetics of what was going on. Uh, I got to say, I'm kind of interested to see how Resident Evil 8 handles its story, considering that we now have vampires and werewolves and a more shift towards like a, what seems to be a supernatural sort of plot. Like it's, it's very much a change of pace. I'm kind of hoping that Capcom hasn't lost the plot and I'm kind of hoping that they can tie it in with Resident Evil 7. You know, maybe it has something to do with the molded. Maybe, I, I don't know. We will see more as the months go on, I'm guessing. But uh, right off the bat, you get big Resident Evil 4 vibes from this thing, mainly because they look uh, they look to take place almost in the same area like that rural part of Spain. We don't know uh, where Resident Evil 8 takes place, but in 4, as you know, it was rural Spain. And almost shot for shot, it looks the same. You have an actual village with villagers walking around with people you can talk to, and, and you know, offset by this gigantic looming castle or in manner that, you know, I'm guessing uh, most of the game is going to take place, or maybe at least a big chunk of it. Um, I can... I hope not all of Resident Evil 8 takes place in the castle. I would like to do more stuff in the village. But um, gameplay mechanics look pretty much identical to Resident Evil 7. It looks the same, with the exception they bought in the Resident Evil 4 attache case, which I think was the best inventory system that Resident Evil has had ever. Um, Not that 7's was bad, but, I mean... Definitely a far cry from the unmitigated garbage that was 5 and 6. Those games had one of the worst inventory management systems. I I would rather play the OG games and deal with those, you know, the the, the 6 slots you get for Chris and the 8 you get for Jill. But they brought in the attache case for this game. 
and uh, I'm glad they did it because it's more more Tetris for me. You know, God knows I love doing that in Resident Evil Four. It was it's fun to organize and get a little obsessive about how you want your ammo and weapons and items to fucking stack up. So it, it's it's gonna be fun. Uh, your main antagonists beyond the memes, and God knows we've seen some fucking memes. Beyond all of that, they do look very imposing. You know, the mother, uh, Lady Dimitri, she's like this nine-foot-tall vampire with, like, Freddy Krueger-style, like, knives. Not even knives. These things look like fucking swords that come out of her fingertips. Like, they're, like, legitimate, like, you know, small katanas that be coming out of her hands. And her all of her daughters, we've seen one daughter so far, the one that turns into all the bugs, and she's, like, floating around. She's got a sickle, and she's, you know, stabbing at Ethan with it and dragging him around and stuff. Uh, we've also seen some dude with a hammer. I don't know what he's all about, but he approaches Ethan, and he's all like, he's like, oh, well, well, Ethan, you know, let's see what, you know, you can do. And I'm like, oh, my God, what? Are you going to hit me with that thing? Don't. Don't do it, bro. And, of course, uh... In uh, typical Resident Evil fashion, we have Chris Redfield walking around. And uh, this is where Resident Evil 8 kind of confuses me. Because in 7, Chris Redfield looks radically different than he does from the main, from the previous entries in the series. But now, in Resident Evil 8, he looks, he looks just as he did in Resident Evil 5. And that throws me for a loop, because in 7, he was kind of more realistic looking. He wasn't as beefed up as he was in Resident Evil 5, punching fucking boulders at Wesker. But uh, I'm guessing we're getting Boulder Puncher back. And uh, apparently he's going to be a bad guy, quote unquote, or at least he's doing things that make him look like a bad guy. But, you know, it's not going to be. That's not going to be the case. Um, you know, what else was there? I, I mean, that's that's basically it. The uh, The overview showed us gameplay mechanics some things we're going to be able to do. Um, obviously, we haven't seen, you know, everything there is to see. Um, I did hear that there were already leaks about boss fights, and I avoided that. I avoided those articles like the Dickens because we can't have nothing nice. Everything gets fucking leaked these days. So I'm like, nope, not gonna, not even gonna look at that. Don't care if it's cool or not. I would like to be surprised. I would like to go into Resident Evil 8 with, you know, fresh eyes and not knowing what's coming. So, uh, yeah, that's that as far as the overview. Um, we obviously got the, uh, the all the different editions that we could buy, you know, from your normal standard edition to the deluxe edition that has all of the, you know, cool little pre-orders. One that gives you, like, extra ammo and healing items right off the bat, which is kind of strange. And also one that unlocks the hardest difficulty right off the bat, which, I don't know, that strikes me as, as a silly move. I don't know why you just don't have the hardest difficulty baked in, unless it's something where you have to beat the game first to get the hardest difficulty, and the pre-order would just unlock it straight out of the gate. Which, uh, I guess, Capcom, I guess. God knows you have to have your collector's editions with all the certain stuff. The um, the the biggest one, the biggest collector's edition, it has uh, art books. It's got your steel book. It has a Chris uh, statue, which 
to me, kind of feels kind of funky considering you're not even playing as Chris. You're playing as Ethan Winters. But considering nobody knows what Ethan Winters looks like because Capcom is still kind of won't show his face for anything, I guess they had to go with Chris Redfield. But, um, you know, it's not quite the same as the Resident Evil 2, you know, Leon statue. He doesn't really look all that cool or iconic. If anything, he's just kind of wearing this black coat and he's just standing there like, hey, I'm Chris Redfield. I'll punch you. And it's like, uh, all right, Chris, whatever you say, guy. But um, uh, aside from that, we were shown also, and this is is where I'm going to start ranting and I'm not going to rant immediately because I want to let you talk a little bit. But, uh, oh, God, we were shown the other multiplayer thing, RE-verse, Resident Evil-verse. Uh, I'll, I'll let you take over. <laughs> I, I will say this, uh, you know, RE-verse is what Reddit likes to call it now, reverse, reverse. And uh, Facts. It, it, it's... It, it looks awful. I mean, it's first of all, I don't like the art direction for it. It's just basically the same Resident Evil gameplay you got in Resident Evil 2 and 3. It looks a little bit, uh, the remakes that is, it looks a little bit sped up. The characters are cell shaded and apparently they're letting you, it's kind of like a team death match thing as far as what I can gather because a closed uh, beta did go live. I think it was uh, two nights ago the, on the night on the day that we're actually recording this. And from what I can tell from people, you you can pick a character to spawn as, and if you die, you get to come back as a bioweapon, which is one of the main characters in the game. So you can come back as like Mr. X, Nemesis, or uh, Mr. Baker over there from Resident Evil 7, and you get to do a, a shit ton of damage during that minimal time. But I don't like I haven't read enough into it, but I will say that's kind of a weird mechanic, giving somebody kind of like a massive like boost like that in power when they got capped. Like I don't think you should be rewarding anybody for getting fucked up. But no, not a- <laughs> but but you know, I have no interest in this. It's the same way when Resistance came out with uh, the RE3 remake. I booted up the tutorial once, I saw enough what I needed to see, didn't touch it again, and I don't need it again. And it just pisses me off that Capcom keeps mandating that these teams keep having to waste resources and waste development time and budget on tacking on multiplayer experiences to these single-player games that don't need the multiplayer experiences. And it's like, as history has shown us, whether it has been Umbrella Core, Resistance, you know, or, you know, Outbreak, the original Outbreak on PS2, nothing ever goes right when Resident Evil attempts multiplayer, ever. And, you know, that continues now, and it stays true as far as... I I think, the, like, people will be playing that multiplayer mode, you know, the first week when, the, when Resident Evil Village comes out, just for kind of the memes, to just play it and just get some stream count, just for people to see the mode. But it, it, it'll be just like Resistance. It'll die off in a few weeks, and nobody will even remember it was a thing. But back to the uh, to the conversation, the main conversation topic, Resident Evil Village. Yeah, a lot of these deluxe editions and collector's editions and all this insanity. I mean, one of them comes with a damn weapon charm that you could tag. I'm like, what the, the fuck do I need a weapon charm for? It's like, is this Call of Duty now where I'm equipping weapon charms? Like, are they just cosmetic? Are they going to have an actual effect on gameplay? Nobody knows. But 
I don't need a damn weapon charm. And then you have, you know, the addition that comes with the extra healing items. Another one comes with, you know, you can change the, you can change the save room. Uh, you can change the save rooms to have tape recorders in them, like Resident Evil 7. And they can play uh, the song, go, you know, tell Aunt Rhody or whatever, the theme song from uh, Resident Evil 7 while you're in the save room. Like, I don't need any of that shit. It's like, seems all of that stuff just seems like, you know, superficial shit just to get people to pre-order and like didn't really do anything for me the only thing that looked cool which i'm always a a kind of a sucker for is if you pre-ordered the digital edition which is stupid as well but i guess it saves the money during this covid time to having to produce more packaging is if you pre-order the digital deluxe edition you get the uh, resident evil village soundtrack added on which i thought was pretty cool but it is kind of shitty that you know for physical collectors out there there's not a way to get the physical version of it just going to be for the digital edition but uh, besides that, as far as the actual game itself, Village, you know, I have a lot of the same questions that Mike does. You know, how is this going to tie in overall to the lore? And uh, I have even my own theory right now, so because we did see a werewolf fighting uh, Ethan in the trailer. I have a feeling that that werewolf is the transformation of the guy with the glasses that you see. And I believe that guy with the glasses is somehow... Uh, related i think might be the brother of uh of lady Demetrisu because she in the trailer like when they're showing the little gameplay stuff and they're showing they show like a little quick cutscene. she's on the phone saying you know you know my brother uh ethan escaped from my brother's game that damn heisenberg so i'm assuming that's going to be heisenberg and his transformation is going to be that werewolf because that werewolf was holding that same kind of mallet hammer thing that he had on his shoulder so i'm assuming that's what that deal is going to be and I mean, the thing with Chris and Ethan, like, you know, I have a, I don't know why I feel like they're kind of fucking with us because it's like, we've never seen what Ethan looks like. Chris looked wildly different at seven. And then he looks back to his normal self in uh, in this game. And I'm like, what if the troll would be like, wouldn't it be hilarious troll this whole time? That guy you met in seven who introduced himself as Chris was actually Ethan, and you're playing as Chris this whole time. And he just oh had his God. mind wiped. Like, it'd be hilarious. It'd be great. Because, I'm like, that's the only way you could explain to me why the how he could look so different from one game to the next. That's the only way, like, it would make sense to me. But, uh, one thing that the, the showcase did drop that nobody was expecting is that they dropped a PS5 exclusive demo titled Maiden that was to go live right after the showcase, and I actually got some hands-on time with the demo. And the demo is, first of all, you know, yes, you can tell that this is a game that, you know, because they are developing it for the old systems, Xbox One, PS4, as well as the Series X and the PS5. And I will say the game, despite that, still looks beautiful. The RE engine does amazing things, as always. The game starts you off, you're in a prison cell in this kind of, like, dungeon area. And you have a, you find a note that says, you know, here are my, here, I'm planning my escape tonight, the note says. This is the way out. You need to duck and crawl. And, you know, if you see a light, you know you're on the right path. And once you reach the ladder, you, you know, it's time to go for the door. Like, you find this note all etched out for somebody who had attempted an escape prior to you. And they left the note behind as a way to help. So you follow the notes kind of a tutorial and you kind of get on your knees. You get to, uh. You go crawling through this little, like, cavern or whatever. You end up in the opposite cell across from the cell you started, and you get out, 
you see all these bodies drawn up a kind of like medieval gear, blood everywhere. And then you find out that you have to find your way out of this dungeon and you're hearing all these creepy like footsteps and noises and you have to get a uh, a key to unlock the fuse box in the front of the dungeon to uh, get out of the dungeon. So you, you do the little puzzle. There's this little puzzle that's involved in there. It's not really too intricate, but it's in there. And you end up getting the key and you make your way up the stairs through this dungeon. You're following the, the little lamps that are on the ceiling. So you're following the path that the note told you with the lights. You make your way through that. You continue following and you, you even find the note as you're doing this. Of a, of a woman's diary who says she was a maiden for these three women who were all sisters and they all acted very weirdly around her and they said you know that uh, they she found it weird that one of the sisters was telling the other one you know it's okay I won't bite and like all this weird stuff and she's heard that a uh, house uh, house um, nannies or whatever they were called like I guess maidens you would call them that worked for this family prior were you know said to have gone missing once they fell afoul of the family and she said that on the last diary entry she noticed that uh one of the maidens had gotten under the skin of one of the sisters and the sisters responded by you know slashing her cheek with something at the dinner table which you know wasn't on the up and up and then one of the sisters complained that it was hot in the dining room so the woman opened the window and all of the girls yelled at her in unison you know shut the window, shut the window. Once she shut the window, you know, there was not an update for two more weeks until the final update in the journal entry you're reading says that, you know, I hope they don't come for me tonight. I can still hear howling from far away. I hope I don't end up missing. And I guess that woman did end up going missing because there's no more journal entries and she probably ends up in the same dungeon as you. So you end up now in a, in a, like in this bedroom you're now in after you've made your way up from the dungeon this kind of like nice rustic artisan bedroom and you hear footsteps and big old, you know, lady double D over there walks by and she, <laughs> uh, she, she walks by and you're like, Oh shit. That's, you know, that's, you know, for lack of a better term, that's a huge bitch. And you see her walk by and you're like, all right, whatever the fuck. So now you're walking around, you're exploring what's kind of like a mansion like scenario. I kind of, liken it back to code veronica where they had the kind of like that mini mansion area but not quite and you're walking around that area and you you find like more notes and you're you're looking through this uh, dining room and you are walking around and you you don't find anything initially you go back upstairs there's a room that has a door in front of it with a statue that has one eye and it says find the maroon eye to open the door so you go back downstairs, you're looking around for more stuff. Eventually, you go back to the dining room. You find it uh, in a chalice, a maroon eye ring. You take the eye off the ring. You go back upstairs. You put that eye in there, and you open it up, and you know you get your next prompt for what you have to do. You go back downstairs to now you get a courtyard key to let you go out of the fucking uh, mansion that you're in finally. And that's when the fun starts. You hear, I can't wait to dinner. And one of the sisters materializes out of thin air as a swarm comes out of nowhere, like a swarm of bugs materializes her. And she takes a fucking huge bite out of you and starts cackling like a maniac. And you start running off. And right when you get to the courtyard, you put the key in the door, you open the door, you know, big old lady comes out. She, Lady D comes out. She attacks you. And she grabs you by the neck and says, you know, finally we meet cuts your neck 
end, you know, end of the, the, the little showcase. And I mean, end of the demo showcase. So you right there, it ends and, you know, you're left with more questions, but I thought for what it was supposed to do, it's good. I mean, it's not part of the actual game. This is just a playable teaser. It's a side story, kind of like what they did with Resident Evil 7. It's not something that's going to tie in overall to the story. But it was cool for what it was. And, you know, there's no combat in this uh, in this teaser. There's no, you know, there's no kind of gameplay element to it besides you exploring, walking around, and, you know, reading little notes and solving the puzzle. There's nothing else to it but that. But I thought it was a cool little way to kind of build hype for the May 7th release, which is when the game comes out. It comes out on all, you know, platforms except the Switch. Boo-boo. Mm. And, you know doubt the switch could fucking handle this thing anyway but uh it comes out on anything but uh but the switch and uh you know it looks like it's gonna be a good time i have a lot of questions but as usual as it is with resident evil games this will be a day one pickup for me i'll probably have it beat by that first weekend and i'm really interested to see what they do with it because like mike said it does as well for me give me a lot of resident evil 4 vibes but i think at the end of the day to me, what it comes down to is how does the game play and do I enjoy it? And I mean, I can forgive a lot of the, the lore shit because the lore is wacky as hell, you know, sometimes. And I mean, if the rumors are true that they're coming out with a Resident Evil 4 remake and they want to remake Resident Evil 1 and all these things they want to do, you know, I'm fine with them trying progressive stuff with the new entries in the series because eventually we're going to go back to that old stuff anyway as they remake some of the older games. So I'm fine with all that, you know, and that's kind of my take on the demo and the showcase, you know, I'm just more intrigued than anything else, you know, besides, you know, Capcom's greed on the, on the whole front of every deluxe and collectors and addition that they introduce, you know, I'll probably just be getting the standard on digital for, for the PlayStation five. That'll be for me, but you know, I'm more intrigued than anything, but as we move on in this podcast, you know, we're, we're talking about good old, you know, Resident Evil village you know, and, you know, a village mentality is, you know, a tight-knit group that, you know, stays together. They're usually in this little community, and, you know, they have their own morals, they have their own laws, you know, they, usually when you go into a village, you know, it's kind of like its own world away from a world. Well, you know, it took a village to take down Wall Street, but it did happen as a, now it looks like GameStop stock has gone from what was $15 at one point a couple of weeks ago to now being worth almost $400. And it all it took was a couple of traders on Reddit to go, hey, you know what? I'm tired of these hedge fund managers blow, uh, you know, getting rid of everybody and taking, you know, blowing up the economy and just making themselves rich. How about we blow it up and make ourselves rich instead? And now their stock is soaring through the sky and they're doing it with other companies such as AMC, the movie theater chain. Naked, the juice brand, Bed Bath and Beyond, Nokia, if you remember that, Blackberry, all these stocks are now soaring and hedge fund managers don't know what to do because basically what these guys are doing on Reddit, they were buying the stock for cheap and by word of mouth making other people buy the stock, raising up the price, and then instead of selling the stock back when it raised, because basically what hedge fund managers do is they wait for the dips in price and then they buy back the stock after selling out. But the thing is they buy the stock differently than normal retail investors, which are people who use Robinhood and other apps like that buy it back. And basically what these kids are doing is, you know, these guys, they're, they're setting their sellback price for a thousand. So if these guys bought stock at 15 bucks, will want to buy back in. Now they got to buy it back in at 
$1,000 and these hedge fund managers are not happy. I'm talking about some of these uh, hedge funds lost millions of dollars in the span of a week off of this one GameStop idea. And I mean, power to the people. I mean, it doesn't mean that GameStop's actually a profitable company or that it's going to, you know, stand on its, uh, on its laurels, that it's, you know, doing the right thing. But I mean, if you were one of those people that invested when GameStop's, you know, initial stock was only four or five bucks, so it get up to 15 and we're like, hmm, we might get somewhere good. And now you can sell a bunch of those shares for $400 a piece. Get, get that money, get that bag. I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't fault you for this. Mike, have you been keeping up with this story? I have. Um, let me, let me preface this by saying, I don't know shit about stocks. I, I do not know the first thing, but I do know that when you lose billions of dollars, people listen. And from what I, from what I did read, it was billions of dollars. Like these hedge fund managers absolutely lost their shit. Of course, they're calling for more regulations for these sorts of things. And I'm just over here like, Oh man, a a few people on Reddit actually did it. These absolute mad lads did it. Uh, also, I had, like, the absolute irony of an app called Robinhood just absolutely, you know, stopping these people from doing what they need to do is it's pretty funny, considering that Robinhood is supposed to take from the rich and give to the poor. But, you know, the app, oh, no, stop it. Stop it. You can't do any of this anymore. These people, these, these managers are losing so much money. And it's like, oh, well, I mean, they manipulate the stock market all the time. How come, you know, normal people can't do it? And, uh, yeah. That's it's it's really crazy. It's it's really crazy. I, I will I will say this for anybody that didn't get in on it that's listening to this podcast or just in general that didn't get in on this on the GameStop, you know, stock when it was three or four bucks initially in the beginning and it's thinking it's feeling, you know, kind of the FOMO and wants to get in on it now. I would not recommend it because with stocks, it's extremely volatile. These stocks themselves, in in uh, specifically due to what's going on with you know the memes and the trending and Reddit, are especially volatile. And I would say, do not get in on this unless you're hundred percent sure you're willing to lose what you put in because these stocks can be four hundred dollars and be back down to two dollars two dollars on Monday. You know, you don't know they're very volatile. They're not long term investment stocks. These are just stocks that you know kind of became, you know, the, you know, the pretty girl at the party spur of the moment thing. And I wouldn't recommend anyone to jump in unless you're doing it with some kind of capital that you don't mind losing in the case that it continues to go down. I mean, you could get lucky and buy it at 400 a a piece, whatever it's going for now. And Monday it's going for a thousand and you cash out and you made yourself a pretty, you know, pretty nice penny, but that's not guaranteed. So I wouldn't, you know, I, this is just a disclaimer. I'm not, advising anybody to jump in but speaking of companies you know not happy one company that was not happy was microsoft because as we talked about uh before on a podcast earlier we were like oh you know they're doing consumer friendly things they have their game pass they have xbox live and they combine them together and they're letting people play all these free games which not gonna lie i am a game pass ultimate subscriber and uh yesterday actually two days ago no, it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday as we're recording this. They dropped Medium for free on Game Pass Ultimate, which is one of their exclusive titles. I did download that, and I am going to try that. That was really cool. But what's not cool is when they decided, 
hey, guys, we know you really like Game Pass and you think that's cool that you can play a lot of these games for free and, you know, and you can download a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, uh, so instead of a $60 a year for Xbox Live Gold, we're going to charge you $120 a year if you want that privilege. And the Internet lost their shit. Everybody lost their mind. I mean, I would have, too, if, you know, like if Xbox, especially if Xbox was my only platform that I gamed on, you're telling me you want to charge me instead of $60 a year, which is understandable, to $120 a year? Nah, you can get the fuck out of here. There's no online service that I've seen, even with Game Pass Ultimate being bundled in, that's worth $120 a year. You can join Gamefly for a couple of bucks a month and still come out ahead on that deal. And it's like, there's there was never an idea, but immediately after that happened, you know, Xbox uh, and Microsoft backpedaled and we're like, no, 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 no. You know, we made a foolish move. We shouldn't have raised the price. You know, we're listening to the people. No, you didn't listen to the people. You listened to the reception and saw stock prices going down and realized, oh shit, we made a bad move. Because if you were ever were listening to the people, especially in a pandemic, you would have never raised the price in the first place. Mike, what was your take on this? Um, Just your classic dick move. Just Microsoft, just hey, here's a bad decision. Let's see how people react to it. Um, like you said, they, they've, been, they've been making good moves lately, Microsoft. What with the Game Pass, them buying up developers, trying to bolster, you know, first-party exclusives, you know, anything that they can do to try to get ahead. And then they come out with this little, little drop in the bucket here. It's like, hey, guys, so we were thinking uh, we're going we're gonna to bolster up the price of Xbox Live. We're going to double it, actually. You know, it would have been one thing if they had came out with a $10 or $20, you know, uh, a rise in cost. But to double it? $120? Up from 60 Have you lost your fucking mind? Are you out of your mind, Microsoft? You're, and I tell you what, they're lucky they double back. They were like, okay, psych. <laughs> yeah, we got you. We got you. We got you. We got everyone. Because had they stuck to their guns and had they actually made the service cost $120, you probably would have had a lot of people jump and ship. You would have had a lot of people jump and ship and either going to PC or you would have had people who owned both the Xbox and the PS5 just make the PS5 their main thing. Um, because that was a bad decision. That was a monumentally bad decision. That was like, you know, early E3, you know, 2013, when the uh, previous gen was just being announced, the whole DRM bullshit for the original Xbox One, uh, all that stupid, stupid decisions coming out. And um, part of me wonders, what the fuck were they thinking? What, what... At what point did they see that and think it was a good idea to say that, considering that, yeah, you already have to pay for Xbox Live. You already have to pay for the Game Pass. Like, it's... I, I want to know where you come in and have the balls, the unprecedented balls. And it's not like Microsoft is losing money out here. They, they're they buying studios up left and right, $8 billion for... What was it? $8 billion for Bethesda? Good God, man. You're not you're not hurting for money. Clearly, why increase 
why increase your service cost? I, I don't understand it. It's, it was one of those things where a couple of CEOs, a couple of chair people got greedy about it. And we're like, you want to see how much money we can squeeze out of people? Yes. And uh, then they did that. And then Phil Spencer had to come out and be like, <laughs> we're actually not going to do that. We, we just wanted to see what you guys would have said. We said, oh, fuck it, thank God. <laughs> and eh, just, just your classic shitty decision. And you know what? Everyone goes through it. You know, Microsoft has done it. Sony's fucking done it. I, it I'll, I'll tell you what. It was kind of impressive how quick they they went back on their word. Because I'm pretty sure the day they announced that the the price hike was coming, not even, not even 24 hours later, they reversed course. That's That's how fast backlash can dictate you know, a, a business's course. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's rather impressive, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you know, Reddit, the, the, the Reddit boys came for everybody and, you know, the, the Twitter, you know, the Twitter fingers started popping and that was the end of that. And, you know, that, that, you know, that just shows you in the climate we live in where social media and just people being able to have platforms to voice their displeasure about something can really change everything. And I feel like this to, you know, the, one of the biggest examples of this that really for me started this trend was, you know, when everybody backlashed over Sonic and got the movie delayed and got them to change Sonic's appearance. I feel like that was really like the harbinger of like, all right, people, you know, we got a voice too. If we don't like something, we're going to fucking tell you. We're going to get it changed. Like, you know, that that was that moment where I was like, oh, shit. You know, the internet does have power to some degree. And, you know, I'm happy in this case that the internet flexed its muscles on this one. Because it's like, I'll tell you this much. I do like what Xbox is doing with their platform and the Game Pass and, you know, Live and Ultimate. And, you know, it's already hard enough to be a part of their platform when, you know, they don't really have games in comparison to Sony's side to play. But do, raising the prices was totally a bonehead move, and I'm glad the internet shut that shit down. And you know, hopefully they they think better before they try to implement any new ideas of how to price gouge uh, any of their consumers in the future. But speaking of something that is free to a certain extent, as long as you have the subscription, is Godzilla versus Kong. We got the trailer for it. HBO Max dropped it. It's coming. Uh, it's coming uh, free to HBO Max subscribers the same day that it would release in theaters potentially, assuming everything's on the up and up with COVID and theaters are open in a majority of states at that point. And the trailer was something wicked. We got a lot of uh, cool little fighting scenes between Godzilla and Kong in the trailer. You know, obviously the, your your obligatory scenes of military, hi, 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 you know, running through, running around and doing shit. We had a uh, you know. We had a couple of characters from the past films return and, you know, show up and make little cameos in the trailer. And basically, you know, obviously the trailer is just mostly beat down, you know, fight scenes between Kong and Godzilla. And I will say my takeaway from these uh, versus movies or, you know, these mashup movies is that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Kong, Godzilla or whatever. Dude, you know what this is going to be. They've set the model with Hollywood when it comes to mashup or beat em up movies where they combine two famous franchise characters and they put them together. They will always start out as antagonists for one another. 
but common enemy will bring them together. I mean, it happened in Batman versus Superman. It happened in Freddy versus Jason. It, it you know, it happened in Civil War. You know, for Marvel, something will always bring everybody together. And you know, eventually, yeah, they might start out as you know hating one another, and we'll get the cool fight scene. But eventually, you know, you'll have you know fucking King Kong jumping off of Godzilla's back or swinging Godzilla by the tail and helping him knock somebody out and doing, you know, a dub, a double team takedown like the Arkham games. Like, you're going to have some stupid shit like that's going to happen. I'm just telling people, enjoy this as a popcorn movie. This ain't a movie about your fandom or any allegiance to either one of the, you know, the iconic characters. Just enjoy it for what it is because regardless if you're a Kong fan or a Godzilla fan, just be happy that this movie was even made at all. And in that case, we all win. And I'm looking forward to see what comes out. I mean, the first Godzilla was a decent movie, the first movie, but it didn't have enough Godzilla in it. And the second one had a lot of Godzilla in it, but it was kind of nonsensical at points, but still a good movie. And this one, I want to see where it goes, but I will say there is something to be said that this movie might lose a little bit of its charm because I feel like Godzilla and Kong, just that specific battle, that's something that needs to be seen in a movie theater and seen in IMAX, seen on a big screen with all the nice special effects and everything blur. I don't know if it's going to, you know, if it's going to really pop on Maggie's 36-inch Vizio, you know, in Buena Vista, Florida, when she's sitting down watching it while having, you know, a couple of PBRs. I don't think it's really going to pop, but, you know, what are you going to do? These are the times we live in, and we could just try to make the best of it and enjoy it. And, uh, you know, Mike, I know you're a big fan of, of, you know, Godzilla and, you know, in these kind of the giant monster, you know, franchises. What did you think about the trailer? Uh, trailer looked fine. Um, I like how right off the bat, people are already speculating that Godzilla is going to be the force that unites uh, King Kong and Godzilla, which a lot of people are saying that you can see Mechagodzilla in the opening seconds of the trailer. You know, the, the big explosion happens. You see the people running down the stairs and there's something looming over them with, you know, like kind of looks a little bit sheeny and metallic and silver. That's that my guess was that that's Mechagodzilla. But uh, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, don't expect Godzilla or King Kong to like, you know, be a definitive victor, either one. Because like you said, these these franchises always have a big fight, you know, you'll have Godzilla smack King Kong around and then King Kong, King Kong smacks Godzilla around, but then, at, you know, they're going to have a, you know, really big enemy to unite against. And, you know, at the end of that movie, they're going to be so fucked up from that fight. Then they're just going to be like, oh, I'm going to walk away because it hurts. And, you know, Godzilla is just going to go straight into the ocean and King Kong's going to do whatever. God knows if they bring him back to Skull Island. Uh, but there are a lot of, uh, I have a lot of questions considering, you know, in Skull Island, King Kong is a lot smaller than what he's going to be in Godzilla versus King Kong. And the, one of the explanations that I saw was that Skull Island takes place in the seventies. I'm not sure exactly what year, but it's definitely the seventies. Now the Godzilla versus King Kong takes place in the modern day, 2021, that's 50 years of time for King Kong to grow, especially considering I think they were saying that he wasn't an adult in Skull Island. So now him being an adult in Godzilla versus Kong, I mean, that can explain away the height difference. You know, perhaps he's grown 
into his full adult height and he's able to take on Godzilla. Although I got to say, we see him in the trailer being taken away, uh, King Kong. I mean, we see him in the trailer being taken away from Skull Island in these fucking shackles. And I'm like, King Kong can't get out of those. He can't just pull the shackles apart and just do whatever. You're, you're shitting me. If you're telling me that King Kong can't get out of these shackles and he's going to fight a Godzilla that has the ability to go into burning. And and we all saw what he did to fucking King Ghidorah when burning Godzilla happened. He fucking atomized him. It, it wasn't even a fight. So, you know, King Kong better come with some sort of secret technique or fucking, you know, Hadouken, some sort of Shoryuken bullshit. I don't know. They showed him having a specific kind of weapon that kind of looked like a stone axe or something. You know, we got King Kong using tools, which, you know, it's not uncommon for great apes to use tools and such like that. Uh, although in the trailer, we see King Kong jump, jumping at Godzilla with, you know, the fucking weapon. And he's like deflecting his atomic breath with it. And during that sequence, I'm like, why doesn't Godzilla just aim down at him? Why is he still like holding his breath on the weapon? Just fucking aiming at Kong, Godzilla. What are you doing? And, uh, <clears throat> You know, a, a lot of people, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people are saying that, um, you know, obviously you're going to have some non- nonsensical shit. Uh, I'm guessing it's just going to be more of a, more of what uh, King of the Monsters was. It's going to be more of the spectacle. And, uh, you know, like you said, you know, is it going to hit the same as it would if you were in a movie theater? It's it's not going to. Let's be real. Um don't get me wrong, while it is going to be fun to watch, you know, like all of the impact would definitely be in a movie theater where you have, you know, the state of the art sound system. So you hear Godzilla's roar, you hear King, uh, King Kong's roar. And, the, you know, a lot of that is going to get lost in the translation for, you know, watching it at home through either your own uh, sound system or in my case, just your fucking TV speaker, or perhaps, you know, you'll put on a headset and get a better experience like that. But um, I think it's going to be a decent movie, kind of like how uh, King of the Monsters was. I I liked King of the Monsters. A lot of people didn't like it. Uh, Different people critique the first Godzilla movie and second Godzilla movie way different. You know, it's like, oh man, there's not enough, you know, fighting in, in, you know, Godzilla. And then for King of the Monsters, oh, there's too much fighting. And it's like, choose one. It's, they're, they're giant monster movies. You either want more story fleshing out Godzilla or you want to see Godzilla smacking other people around. And personally, I'm okay with just seeing Godzilla smacking other people around. God knows the original Japanese movies from the past 50 years have subsisted on nothing but that, uh, with the exception of a few movies here and there, uh, much like Shin Godzilla, which I haven't seen yet and I, I've heard was real good, that they go a little bit into more story when it comes to Godzilla in that particular case. But, uh, you know... Just go into this, like you said, it's a popcorn movie. You're here, you're there to have fun. Um, it, it's it's pretty much all but guaranteed that Mechagodzilla is in this movie, and you know, when you see it on the screen, you're gonna be like, eh, "Called it, 
fucking saw it coming. But um, I mean, at least the uh, at least the Godzilla versus you know King Kong fight itself should be something fun to watch. I'm kind of guessing that they're gonna like fight twice. Uh, like they're gonna have Godzilla first, and like he's gonna fuck King Kong up. And then King Kong goes back to Skull Island to get whatever MacGuffin hootenanny that he needs to fucking get, you know, the weapon to, and then that will give him the edge over Godzilla. And then, you know, Mechagodzilla is going to show up out of a volcano or some other bullshit, or he's going to fly down, you know, from his jetpack fucking thrusters. And they're going to look, they're, they're both going to look at Mechagodzilla, look at each other, then look back at Mechagodzilla. And, you know, they're just going to do, you know, the villain, you son of a bitch predator fucking, you know, hand fucking shake. And, uh, you know, <laughs> which don't get me wrong. That is not what I would want from this for this movie. Personally, if they're going to fight, you know, like Ken Watanabe in this movie, let them fight. And, you know, I want to see I want to see a clear definitive victor. Personally, I think Godzilla would wipe the floor with King Kong. But, you know, you have people who are King Kong fans, too. And, then, you know, they think that Godzilla can be touched. And I'm like, all right. Unless your name is King Ghidorah and you're from outer space, I don't think there's much to do. Again, especially since Godzilla can go burning. And when Godzilla in his, is in his burning form, how the fuck is King Kong even supposed to get close to him? Everything burns around him. He's going to let go, you know, going for the, the hit. And all of a sudden his hands are going to be fucking on fire. And, you know, oh, sorry. Sorry, Congo. Yeah, but, you know. Them's the breaks when you fight the king of the monsters. There's a reason why they call Godzilla king of the monsters. And, you know, they, I feel like the old King Kong thing was very much a sort of a gimmick to get the old monster mash movies going. Not that, you know, most of, most of that Godzilla movies aren't that sort of thing. It's just, you know, King Kong was a totally different thing. And then, you know, they brought him in, in the Japanese movies and, you know it's that but uh, but i do look forward to it. i think it is going to be a good time yeah i i definitely agree and i uh i will say this you know going on you know everybody's theory with mecha godzilla it wouldn't even surprise me if they decided to forego that and they just brought in mecha Ghidorah because one of the heads did survive at the end of king of monsters for Ghidorah. And, you know, in that company that was, you know, trying to collect some of the some of the Titans actually collected the head and we're like, ooh, we got ourselves something nice here. And I'm like, it wouldn't fucking surprise me if they came out with a fucking Mecha Ghidorah and just made him the boss, the final boss to end all bosses. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the movie. You know, I hope it's good. You know, I'm gonna, it's going to lose some of the luster watching it at home. But I totally agree. You know, I think if this was done in the in a kind of like different sense I would say of how you know if there was a victor to the fight I'd want it to be Godzilla as well I'm a bigger Godzilla fan than I am a King Kong fan but you know I'm interested to see how their battle plays out and what's the what's the united uh you know what's the villain they would they would have to unite against but you know staying on the same HBO Max front we actually had our first images and our first couple of pieces of footage from the new Mortal Kombat movie that's dropping in April on HBO Max and I will say, man, I'm kind of all over the place on this. Initially, I was very excited because 
any Mortal Kombat and film medium is good Mortal Kombat, unless it's Mortal Kombat Annihilation, then I don't want nothing to do with it. But if it's Mortal Kombat, I'm usually down for it, especially everybody's been clamoring for a proper new live uh, live action film. And we're getting that with the newer Mortal Kombat, which is a reboot of the series, has nothing to do with the Mortal Kombat's that came out back in the 90s. And unfortunately, I was all hyped until I finally got story details about this one. And I saw that they're basing a lot of the story around a new character that they made for this, that he's going to be an, kind of like an, an underground cage fighter. Not really like a professional MMA fighter, but more of like an underground, you know, uh, you know, people bet money on me cage fighter. And he has the mark, I guess, of either like some kind of either scar or Mortal Kombat symbol on his chest that makes him safe from, you know, Outworld and Nether Realms warriors. And because of that, uh, because of that symbol on himself, he's protected by Raiden. He's chosen as one of Raiden's uh, Earth Realm uh, representatives for the Mortal Kombat tournament. And in in this case, he will join up with Sonya, Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and Kano. Like, why Kano? And like, it's just weird things. Like the only things that I've seen, like the brief clips, because they were the new teaser of HBO Max's upcoming program that aired, I think it was two nights ago, where they, I think they showed it off on their social media platform that actually shows like that, uh, an opening sequence of, uh, when Hanzo and Bai Han battle against one another in feudal Japan, which I think is really cool and looks like it's going to be a cool sequence. And we also get our first behind the back shot of Sub-Zero actually conjuring up like a giant ice ball. And we see him also making his ice sword, which is in the new video games, which is cool. And, like, I'm all into that shit, but this MMA fighter teaming up with the Earthworm Warriors and, you know, having a symbol on his, and carved on his chest that marks him as an Earthworm Warrior, so therefore he's protected by Raiden as long as the uh, the tournament is not going on. And I'm like, all this shit is, like, stupid, and I'd rather, like, they just concentrate on the established characters. God knows through all the games they have enough fucking characters to pull from. But, you know, I'm a, I am interested and I'm still going to watch the movie because it's on HBO Max and why not? You know, it's another movie that loses something by not seeing it in a theater. And while I am cautiously optimistic because I don't know about some of these story details, I hope, I hope that they bring back that, uh, that uh, you know, iconic Mortal Kombat theme, even if it's in a remixed version. And I hope that they keep a lot of the, you know, the elements from the game and, you know, the one thing that made the original movie that came out back in the 90s so fun is that objectively, okay, it's not the best movie. It's really cheesy. And, you know, a lot of the special effects definitely have not aged well these days. But here's the thing. It knew it was making a video game based off of, uh, you know, making a movie, I should say, based off a video game. And it didn't take itself seriously. And it kind of let itself burrow into the lore of Mortal Kombat as ridiculous as it is. And it kind of, you know, made itself you know part of that lore and didn't try to take itself seriously and i feel like this movie looks like it's trying to take itself seriously which you know can be kind of a gift and a curse because you do want your your favorite games and your favorite lore and your favorite pieces and other mediums to be taken seriously but i feel like this is one of those things where it's kind of a really tight rope to walk and i while being optimistic about it i'm scared that they added in all these extra things and it kind of reminds me of what Resident Evil did with their films where they didn't want to have to rely on the characters to carry the movies, which was a stupid choice in hindsight. So they created Alice 
And I feel like that's what they're doing with this guy. They're like, oh, we can have a character that we can kind of mold and have him do whatever we want that fits our story. So that way we can fuck around with the other characters. And when something happens to them, people can't really get mad because no, 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 they weren't the main characters. The story's about him. Don't worry, guys, we got this. And it's like, I don't want that shit. I, I want to, you know, I want my story to be about Liu Kang. I want my stories to be about Johnny Cage, Sonya, you know, even to a lesser extent to be about Scorpion, Sub-Zero, you know, about the characters we know from the games and seeing how they would be in a live action setting. That's what I want these movies to be about. And, you know, it, it took everybody for a loop when the first Resident Evil movie came out in 2001, I believe it was, or 2002. And the movie start off with Alice and a bunch of people that nobody knew of or never heard of that weren't in the games and they carried the whole movie on that. You got no Chris, you got no Jill, you got no Barry, you got no Wesker. And while you did get them law, uh, get them later in the series, by that point, the series was so far gone that it was still the Alice show with everybody playing second fiddle. And it's like, nah, that's not how it should be. And I hope that Mortal Kombat heeds those lessons and doesn't, you know, try to stray too far from the lore from, you know, already the the kind of little details are out there, but, you know, I hope the movie's good, but that does have me a little intimidated. Uh, what about you, Mike? I'll tell you what, um, that, uh, that character you mentioned, that cage fighter guy, that's the first I've heard of that. Um, I have not seen the previews for Mortal Kombat yet, so, like, everything that you just said was brand spanking new to me. Um, I do think it's cool the whole Scorpion and Sub-Zero thing, you, you got to get that right. If that's not right, then yeah, you, you might as well just fucking redo half your movie. Um, that cage fighter thing, that's stupid as shit. Don't, don't do that. Just, just have, just have it be a normal, you know, normal storyline about, you know, you don't even have to do Shao Kahn. You can do Shang Tsung again and just have, you know, it be the tournament, you know, Luke Kang and company and Raiden and Johnny Cage, all your, your classic cast, they're going around and they're just doing the tournament as normally as can possibly be. There's no need to bring in other characters. There's no need to change the story. It's fucking Mortal Kombat. You don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Um, or, or, you know, pull a Mortal Kombat 11 and add in, you know, like, hey, there's things beyond the, the Elder Gods. Look, it's it's Kronika, the time bitch. And, you know, uh, this character, I'm not with it. Uh, fine if he plays. I, I will, before, just, to, just to cut you off for one second, Mike, do you, do you know where the, this, these story details came from? They're actually in the press release from Warner Brothers as far as the synopsis of the film. He's actually in the plot for the film. So, like, that's their official press release that, you know, it centers on a cage fighter who meets up with blah, 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 to join Earthrealm's fighters. Like, it's not even a rumor thing. It's actually confirmed by Warner Brothers. That's lame. That's, I mean, I, I would still watch this movie, but that's that's a big blow in, you know, a particular department that I'm, I'm like, okay, that's, that's fucking stupid. I don't want anything to do with that. But it'll at least be fun to see Scorpion and Sub-Zero fight. Um, I did see, like, because, you know, on, on social media, you'll see shit advertisements for, you know, stuff in HBO Max. And, you know, I, I've come across, like, that one, like, second and a half scene of, you know, Sub-Zero making his ice sword. And I was like, that looks fucking cool. I want some of that. And uh, it reminds me, uh, it reminded me a little bit 
of uh, like 10 years ago. What was it? Those Mortal Kombat Legacy videos that were being made. And uh, the the fight between Sub-Zero and yep. Scorpion. Oh my God, that shit is still so cool to this fucking day. And, you know, it, if ever, if there were ever a Mortal Kombat movie to be made, I wanted it to be like Mortal Kombat Legacy. Because that, the way they represented, you know, all of the, all of the fighters, that shit was really awesome. Although, Raiden's story was kind of awkward, as was Liu Kang's, considering like Liu Kang was evil in one of them. And it's like, okay, whatever. But uh, like the two best, two best like mini stories ended up being Scorpion and Sub Zero, and uh, and Cyrax and Sector. Uh, so you know, here's here's to hoping that even if they're doing goofy shit with this movie story, that at least the fight scenes will be good. At least you know we'll have some good classic. You know, Sub Zero, Scorpion, Liu Kang, Shang Tsung, whatever, uh, and like, I mean, it, it, it can. I, I, what's the worst that can happen? It, it's as bad as Annihilation. Eh, we've lived through it already. It wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, that's that's all well and good. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I, yeah, I, I'll say this. While it is confirmed, like I said, I'm extremely intimidated by that one news tidbit. Maybe it amounts to nothing. Maybe he gets his fucking head cut off in the first fight. You know, he gets he's the first fatality. Like, who knows? But, like, the fact that they hyped him up and made him a, 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 like, a thing they focused on when they were doing their press release for the plot outline had me like, oh, no. And then the whole, you know, symbol that this marks him as an Earthrealm fighter. Oh, no. And it's like, it's like one of those things, like, he has a past, you know, that he doesn't know about, and it, you know, and he's directly related to the Mortal Kombat tournament. It's like, oh, dude, also, you know, one big difference that this movie is going to have is that we're actually going to get to see Kung Lao, not the great Kung Lao, obviously, but uh, regular Kung Lao, who's actually joining Liu Kang in the tournament. That is dope. We're actually going to get to see him in a live action film, and that, that is good for him. One thing I'm interested to see, which Annihilation did did uh, did them dirty, but Legacy did them right. I do want to see if there's any hint, which I'm not expecting them to be in the movie in a big part, but I do want to see at least it built toward if the movie does good enough for a sequel, like kind of a, a thing. I want to see if they start kind of uh, kind of building toward the Ninja Wars with Cyrax and Sector and the whole thing going on with the you know, everybody getting cool. into robots. I would enjoy that. And also, it's like, I know there's other fight, gonna be other fighters in the movie, like, it would not surprise me, like, hush, hush. Hush, you know that they added uh, Goro into the movie, it wouldn't really surprise me if Goro was in the movie. And then, you know, you could have Reptile, you could probably, I wouldn't even surprise me if they had other characters like Smoke, but I'm really interested to see what they do with that, you know, the cybernetic wars between, you know, the different ninja clans and everything else that they got going on. I think it's gonna be, you know... A fun time as far as that seeing the characters but you know wrapping it all around i don't think you know it's going to be a good time with the story i think the story if that's what they're going with you know leaves much to be desired well with that topic that's going to wrap it up for us that's all we had on the show notes for this episode of jay and mike take flight i want to thank all of you for tuning in as always and we hope that you all stay safe during this time with the pandemic and we hope that you tune into our next episode peace